Jesus Christ. <laughs> Holy lickful. Is this too bad those are your teammates that you f***ed up out there? Oh, I'm sorry, sir. Of course, on the bright side, those are your teammates that you f***ed up out there. What do you say, son? You want to be an assassin? Yes, yes. What number you want to wear? 69! Take the number 69! It's hilarious! Is that number taken? All right, good to go. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sandscast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jancy. Tim, how's it going, sir? Going good, going good. It's finally not absolutely freaking freezing, so I can actually go outside with, while feeling my face. Solid. What's the temperature like in Calgary this week? Uh, looks like it's going to be sitting around zero to five. That's not too bad, man. That's not too bad, given that it was in the minus 20s or last week when we last spoke. You mean minus 40? It got to minus 40? Yeah, 50 with the wind chill. Oh, I, I know up in Edmonton it was that. I didn't realize Calgary got hit that bad. Yeah. Got cold. Jesus. Like, it was just don't go outside if you don't have to sort of weather. Yeah, man, that's weird. It seems like the weather across the country is like that because Newfoundland got hit with that bad snowstorm. We got hit with the snowstorm last week, which I'll talk about here in a little bit. But well, we're gonna... old fronts happen, right? That is true, man. That is true. So let's go into this today's episode because today's episode is season three, episode fifteen in chronological order, episode sixty-nine. Ah, nice. The Doug Glatt edition. Now. In addition to Doug Glatt, we also want to give a quick shout-out and dedicate this episode to former Sens PA dress announcer, Stuntman Stu Schwartz, who announced on Twitter today that his leukemia, unfortunately, did return. So we want to give him a shout-out and his family. And that sucks, man. Like, that really is because Stu is one of those guys that, for us being center fans for a number of years, like, his voice was the voice, really, of the Sens outside of Dean Brown because it was, you know... Sends goal scored by Daniel Alfredson, or insert player here, right? And so when you hear something like this, it really hurts to hear that. Yeah, it's really sad just knowing that you thought it was gone, and then now it's back. I know. Just the well, he he even posted on Twitter, and that just the look on his face, like you could just tell he was like, "Fuck, I cannot believe it's back." Yeah, it's fucked. So let's talk about today's cover athlete, which is, of course. Doug the Thug Glatt. Now, of course, said person is from the movie Goon. Now, Goon was released in 2011 and is the story of a kind-hearted but dim-witted bouncer at a Massachusetts bar who unexpectedly finds personal and professional fulfillment after becoming an enforcer for a minor league hockey team. Said movie was an, is an adaption of the book Goon, the true story of the unlikely journey into minor league hockey. Said cast includes Sean William Scott in the main role as Doug Glatt, as well as comedic actor Jay Baruchel, as Doug's friend, Pat, who also co-wrote the screenplay and directed the sequel. One thing I really liked about Goon and its sequel is the use of former and current NHLers in the movie, including George LaRock, George Perils, Colt Knorr, and Tyler Zagan. I didn't realize Goon was as recent of 
of a movie as it was. Goon is one of those movies that, and I went back and watched it, uh, give or take, a few weeks ago, knowing that Doug was going to be the cover athlete for today's episode. And I have a few comments to make up the movie. Number one, I think one thing a lot of people don't talk about when it comes to Goon is the more dramatic moments of the movie because everybody always points to the comedic moments, including Marco Belcher, who's the goalie in the movie. And he has my favorite line in the whole movie where it was when Doug first arrived with the Halifax, uh, the main team in the movie. And so he shows up in the locker room and the captain is, you know, he's introducing everybody to Doug. And all you hear is, where's my fucking helmet? And he goes, that's Marco Belcher. From from Regina, Vagina drinks a lot of hand sanitizer. He just goes, "What's so fucking funny, giggly bits?" And he's just giving shit to the Russian players who have his mask. Oh jeez. I know. I couldn't do that movie justice, and I know I could go on to all my favorite parts. That is probably my favorite part of the movie. I have to say, dramatic dramatically, one of my favorite dramatic scenes in the movie actually has to do later in the film, heading into the third act when. Doug and Ross, the boss, Ray, actually meet for the first time. And it's just that speech that Ross gives near the end where he says, you know what, you've got my respect. Take that for what it is. But if it ever comes down to you and I, I will knock you the fuck out. Hmm. Yeah, you're saying it probably wouldn't be something I'd care about, but I don't know, for some reason I thought Goon was a lot older than it was. <laughs> no, no, it was Entourage I said that you might not. Goon, Goon you might find, you might find funny. I think you might also think that the dramatic, the dramatic moments are actually pretty good too. The sequel, I don't think is as bad as people have said. People have said, oh, the sequel is just kind of a rehash of the first movie, which I do agree. I mean, some characters were and some plot points were, but I liked it for what it was. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Let's talk about next week's cover athlete because next week's episode is season three, episode 16, in chronological order, episode 70, the Daniel Taylor edition. Of the Third Eye Plug Suns cast. Only one player has played one game in number 70 for the Senators. And funny enough, Tim, we actually covered that here on the show. I think it was in season one. Yeah, I'm sorry I stumbled over the words so much as I did, but that's just kind of surprising. Like, I'd half expect either a player to play a handful of games, but, or just not have a number 70 at all. But one guy with one game. That's that's something else. I know. Well, the week afterwards, we're going to actually have a cover athlete poll again because we've got a few players that wore number 71. Well, we have a current 71. And a former 71 as well. Mm-hmm. I wonder why no one picked 70. It's a nice round number. It's a, you don't get 7, take 70. It, it is true, but I mean, a lot of hockey players don't go for those kind of odd numbers because really, outside of Daniel Taylor, I couldn't tell you another player that wore number 70. Yeah, but it's like, well, I guess this. Well, there's a lot of Swedes in the 60s, for whatever reason. That is true. Actually, and for whatever reason, I thought Sergei Bobrovsky actually wore number 70, but it was 72 that he wore. Yeah, it's weird. Why would he, why would he not go for the round number? Hockey players are beard. True. So, let's go ahead and recap our week, Tim, because as I mentioned at the start of this episode... This country got hit with snowstorms, including us, and we got probably probably a good foot outside this past week. And seriously, it was one of those things where I'm looking outside and I'm thinking, oh, sweet Jesus, this is not going to end well for us. Even though it only lasted a couple of days, but seriously, 
Here in Vancouver Island, we are so ill-equipped for snow. It's just like, the rain? No problem. We can drive in that. Snow? Oh, fuck no. We're staying inside and hibernating for fucking three weeks. Well, remember how one of our buddies in middle school and high school would have his road plow before the, the town even got to it? Wait, who was that person again? Uh, Ryan Smith. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot that that... His road always was plowed, son of a bitch. Well, that's because he had the road plow. Well, because uh, he just had a plow. It's like, ah, oh, they're not getting to me anyway. I might as well do it myself. Yeah, man, that's true. That's a good point, Tim. So, Tim, given that you were talking about the... Well, actually, let's talk about Calgary a little bit, because you did mention that you were in the minus 40s, but did you guys get any snow this past week? Not much, if at all. Just way too cold and not a lot of precipitation. Yeah? Yeah, it'd more likely come down as hail. Yeah, but, that's uh, true. But because, remember that, like, snow still has liquid to it. Liquidiness-ish to it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just cold as shit in the cloud, cold as shit on the ground. It's come down as ice. Yeah. And, yeah, it was, it was really bad. So Chelsea and I have these really heavy parkas, and then we had sweaters underneath them, and then I was wearing a thermal layer under my pants. Did it keep and you, did it keep you, you warm? You couldn't have skin exposed, or you're probably getting frostbitten pretty quick. God, man. I, I don't know if I could live in a place like that where it's, like, minus 40. I don't think I could well, do it. Luckily for Calgary, you don't get it. Like, it was an anomaly to have it for over a week. Because, like, it usually comes back up to a more reasonable temperature, but you do get that. You get thrown in the freezer for a bit, that's for sure. True. Actually, I do want to comment about the snowstorm because, you know, after the storm that we had this past week, I love somebody on Twitter, I can't remember the person's name, they were saying, Vancouver, oh, it's great to see we la we survived snowmageddon, and then underneath it was Newfoundland, hold my beer. Pretty much. Fuck, like, I cannot believe they got hit as hard as they did in Newfoundland. Because what were they at, like, 75 centimeters or something of snow? Something ridiculous like that, yeah. Yeah, because I know one of my coworkers who's from Nova Scotia was telling me that one of her friends lives in Newfoundland now, and she had to take her dog out, and she had to put the dog out the window. The snow was packed that high they couldn't get it through the door. Yeah, I remember you could get you get some pretty high snow yields in Nova Scotia, but nothing like Newfoundland. Like as far as like craziest precipitation in Canada, Newfoundland is in the running for it. Yeah, I'm. I don't know. I'm amazed when it comes to like. Newfoundland and these places that get a lot of snow, how come they don't build the houses like they do down in, say, Louisiana or Florida or whatever, where it's on stilts, so you have enough snow that it would just go underneath it? Do you want frozen stuff under your house? No, not necessarily, but I mean, no, I actually, you know, I take that back. No, actually, I don't want that at all. Yeah, because I know what's funny, and uh, when we, Chelsea and I went to Hokkaido this summer, uh, there's photos of Sapporo, which uh, Sapporo is probably the city with over a million with the most snow. And yeah, they get socked right in, like digging out the door type of socked in. Man, that's insane. But thankfully, hopefully this winter storm is finally over, Tim. And now we can go on to get on with February and later get on with spring. Uh, it's going to be fun. Too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So let's talk about last week's episode because... I don't know about you, but I 
really don't recall much about last week's episode. I remember that we did it and it wasn't a bad episode, but I don't know. There just wasn't really anything for me to really comment, except the one comment I made about the Little Caesars pizza, which Adam DM'd me on Twitter about because he just had a good laugh. He's just like, by the way, nice dig at Little Caesars pizza. I mean, it's not hard. It's not. Like, their pizza is, what, five bucks a piece? Come on. Five, five bucks a pizza. Yeah, exactly. So, really, like, come on. It was. I know it's a cheap, you know, a cheap shot and whatever to do Little Caesars, but, like, what do you want me to tell? I've never liked Little Caesars pizza. I had it maybe one time. Their pizza was awful. I mean, I can't eat it. The grease makes me sick. Now, I gotta ask, which pizza makes you sick more? Little Caesars or Costco pizza? Never had Costco pizza. Costco pizza, it's, it's okay, I guess. It exists. It exists, really. I mean, I, if I go to Costco and I want to get something to eat, I might get a hot dog. But even the hot dogs are so huge that I'm just like, you feel like you're 20 pounds heavier after you eat one. You're like, oh, God, why? Isn't that just the Costco MO, though? Just give you a bunch of shit? Yeah, pretty much. Even though the if you get an order of fries, actually not that bad. Huh. Yeah. Again, I don't have a Costco membership, so I don't really know. No, I don't have one either, but the times that I've ever gone to Costco, I always end up going there anyway. Fair enough, fair enough. But, uh, yeah, no. Uh, I mean, why do I remember? I can't even remember what I was going to say about last week's episode. I guess it was... It occurred. It was good. Yeah, so basically it's not a Little Caesars pizza? Yeah, it's Domino's. Damn, that's cold, Tim. What? Domino's occurred. It was good. But you're not writing home about Domino's. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I, I think for myself, pizza-wise, I'm I'm always been a Pizza Hut guy. I don't know what it is. I don't know. There's something about the flavor of those pizzas that I've always really liked. And maybe it's because they... I don't know if they put Pam or something on the pans when they make the pizzas. I'm not sure. They're just delicious. Actually, it was funny. I remember uh, back when I used to live in Ottawa, uh, we'd we'd get pizza a lot when we were watching watching the game or something, and uh, we used to go to Domino's or Pizza Pizza, and one time I was like, fuck it, Pizza Hut. And we're like, oh, this is really good. So the next, we tried to order it. The next time we hung out, uh, the Pizza Hut and the Glee burned down. Of course it did. Yeah, actually, it was funny. Uh, we like last weekend uh, we we're gonna go play uh, mahjong with a bunch of our friends, and uh, we we're driving up uh, Center. I think it was Center Street or Edmonton Trail, and uh, there's a Safeway there, so we picked up some snacks. And I was like, "Yo, we should get a blizzard because it's cold and snowy. A blizzard, like." And then we looked at the Dairy Queen, and it was burnt down. I was like, "When the fuck did that happen?" So what you're saying, Tim, is that you need to stop thinking about fast food places because they always end up getting burnt down. <laughs> Pretty much every fast food place I want to go to ends up burnt down or closed. <laughs> well, Tim, I'll tell you one thing that will never be burned down or closed. Our segue into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. So Tim, we gotta give a couple of shout-outs first before we go on 
we talk about the big stories of the week. First shout out, we're going to have to Washington Capitals forward Alexander Ovechkin, who passed Mario Lemieux for 10th overall on the all time goals list and tied Steve Eisman for 9th with a 692 goals. Man, if we keep going with this podcast and we keep learning about this, it was very possible Ovechkin is going to catch Gretzky. And we're honestly just going to be like, Man, what a great career he had. Because Ovechkin said the second he breaks Wayne Gretzky's record for most goals, he's done. He's retired. Oh, so he's got. I hope he's gotten for it because he's within 200. Or he, not within 200. Yeah, he's just shy of 200 away. And that's not hard to do over five seasons because during the intermission on the Calgary game, they were breaking down the number, breaking down like if his production starts to trail off it's still very reasonable for him to catch Gretzky. And the fact of the matter is, within two, if he scores a hat trick, he passes Messier. God, like that is just unreal. And you know what's funny? I was thinking, because when I was reviewing my notes for today, the one note I always come back to with Ovechkin is that when he first came in the NHL in 2005, really, the league had not seen somebody that big, that tough, that skilled, and take the league by storm since, what, Eric Lindros, if that? Yeah, something like that. Well, I remember even in middle school, like, one of the guys who's, like, really into the NHL was like, you have to watch this guy. He's going to be fucking insane. Like, his first season, he had 106 points, 50 goals. And one rookie. Actually, he had 52 goals. He won rookie of the year. Yeah, like, and that, that, that was back when the goalies were bulletproof. Yeah, that's true. But that's also back in the day where... You know, you still had a handful of stand-up goalies still in the NHL, but they were really being phased out for more of the hybrid goaltenders. And even yeah. the butterfly-style goalies were coming out of style by 2006. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just still kind of dead puck era that he was doing 50 goals at a rookie season. Two years later, 65. Yep, and Gretzky even said during that season that if anybody was going to break his record for most goals, it was going to be Alex Ovechkin. And this was in 2008. Can you imagine Gretzky in 2020 looking back at that statement going like, holy fuck, he's within like 200 goals on my record. It's pretty much the Ikea commercial. Start the car, start the car. Start the car! Yeah, I don't think anyone's ever going to catch him on points, though. No, that no, that's a record that will never be broken. Yeah, it's just it's too out there. It is. And I think part of that is just the era he was playing in. Yeah, that's true, because, I mean, and we've talked about this in the past, right? Those That's a day where, like, if you had a goals against and a save percentage that was over 900, you were, like, fucking god level right there. Because most, go- most goalies were, what, 890, 895, maybe, if that? And probably drunk. Or on cocaine. Yeah. Well, I mean, how's that any I- different than nowadays? That's what I want to know. Yeah, I thought cocaine was supposed to make you good at sports. Well, are At you, least that's what they tell me about investment banking. Are you trying to tell me that Evgeny Kuznetsov was not good at hockey, Tim? Shit, you're right. What's insane is Yermir Yager played for 28 years, and he didn't even come close. He was a 1,000 off. I know. It's insane. Joe Thornton's been playing consecutively for 23 years and is at 1,500. Yeah, that's a good point. 
So we got to give a couple more shout-outs. Montreal Canadiens forward Ilya Kovachok moved into fourth all-time on the all-time goal-scoring list for Russian-born players, passing Pavel Burry. Kovachok, at the time of this recording, is now 33 goals behind Alexander McGillney, fourth third on the all-time scoring list. Now, I have one comment to make about Kovachok, and really, if Kovachok had not left the Devils and left the NHL for those years... I'm really convinced Kovachuk would be the all-time Russian goal-scoring list right now. Well, I don't know about him because Ovechkin's still in the league, but he would at least be second behind Ovechkin. There's no question about that. Yeah, I don't think you can really debate that. And just because uh, it's one of those things where it's like, I know last week we were talking about how there's always something about Ilya Kovachuk, and then you just realize, oh, that guy can pot goals. Yep, and they're seeing it in Montreal right now because in his first eight games he had, what, nine points? Yeah, and it's funny that uh, he was able to just kind of... I wonder if he just got a wake-up call being either being cut in L.A. or just there's a support system that works there, or I don't know. I think it's more a support system, but they're also putting him in a system that allows him to score, whereas, as and we've talked about it, in L.A. he was never put in that situation because the Kings just didn't have the talent or the speed around him that could help him, and Montreal has that in yeah. bunches. As much as I like to stand for Anse Kopitar, he's really come off lately. Yeah, that is true. That is true. But you know what? Yeah, that's the thing. Col- or, um, yeah, Kopitar is another guy that you would have thought putting him with a- Kovachuk would have been a perfect match because... That's the one thing Kopitar never really had in L.A. with an obvious exception with Marion Gabrick where, or even a Mike Richards where he never had a legit sniper. To put well, them. he also had, uh, Car- he had Carter there too. Well, he had Carter, but they were never line mates because Carter and Kopitar were mm. both centers. True, true, true. Yeah. Now, the last shout-out we're going to give to is to Florida Panthers for Johnson Humerdo who passed Ole Okunen as the Panthers' all-time leader in points with his 420th point. Ah, nice. Hubert Doe drafted third overall by the Florida Panthers in 2011, has recorded 143 goals, 277 assists for 420 points in 512 games at the time of the record. Hubert really goes to show you how bereft of talent Florida has been. Like this, They've been around for 20 years, and their top player has 420 points. It does, but the other thing that I really mentioned is that nobody is ever talking about Jonathan Huberto and what a talented player he is. Because honestly, I had no idea he had 420 points. And, 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 and Florida is in our division. I didn't know any of that. I was thought, oh yeah, Huberto, good player, whatever. But I was like, I'm looking at his stats and I'm thinking, oh my god, like this guy's legit. And maybe it's because all the attention when it comes to Florida teams is with the Lightning. Because you saw what the Lightning did a few years ago, 62 wins, whatever. The Panthers, because they have been such a bottom dweller for so long, that when a guy like Jonathan Huberto comes along and puts up those numbers, you're honestly legitimately surprised Well, of that. Dude had a dude almost had a 100-point season last year on the, freaking, on the freaking Panthers. Well, look at fucking Barkov. Barkov had over 60 assists last year. Yeah, well, that's the thing is, like, Florida has the talent now. So, like, we should expect these guys who are in their prime to finally put up 
really put up the numbers. Like at midseason, Huberto is at 64. He's probably going to hit 100 points. Barkov could probably hit 90. Dadanov is probably good for 60. Yeah, Mike Hoffman's probably good for 30 goals. Oh, he'll definitely get 30. I was going to say maybe he'd be pushing 40, but. Well, he's at 18 at midseason. Okay, yeah. We'll, we'll give him 30 just to be on the safe side. Yeah, even Brett Connolly is probably good for 30. Like, these are numbers that you're probably talking about making the playoffs with this sort of good production firing from your top six. Mm-hmm. Now, all that Florida needs is for Bobrovsky to really get his game going because Chris Dreider just went down for several weeks with an injury, and with the rumors that Craig Anderson is going to be traded, there's always the rumor and the very, very likely possibility the Panthers might go after him because it would make sense. Craig Anderson is his final year of his contract. His family lives in Florida. And really, you're putting him in a position where you can make the playoffs if everything goes right for you. Yeah. And he hasn't been worse than Bobrovsky or Montembeau. That is true. I mean, well, I mean, obviously last week was he had a, you know, eight three seven save percentage or whatever the hell he had against Washington. But honestly, I think if you put him in a reduced backup role, Anderson could be very productive for the Panthers. And while it would be sad to see him go, if they can get him into the play, oh, but here's the thing though, and I was just, just realizing this right now because we just mentioned him. Who do you think is the one player is why he would not go to Florida because of Hoffman. There you go. Mike Hoffman. I was just, I did not even, it just dawned on me now. I was like, wait a minute. He's not going to go to fucking Florida. Hoffman's in Florida right now. Hey, maybe he just didn't want to be in the same room as Hoffman and Carlson. No comment. I mean, they went to court. Yeah, that's that's true, but I, I'm not going to make any comment about that. No, so like it may not be he doesn't want to be around Hoff, but maybe he just didn't want to be in a situation between the two of them. Possibly. Unless Possibly, Craig Anderson, yeah. you know, still has some negative feelings towards Hoffman regarding how his tenure with the Sens ended. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. Now, we got to go on to the biggest story, and honestly, I think it's safe to say, I don't think any of us saw this one coming. Vegas Golden Knights have fired head coach Gerard Gallant after three and a half seasons. Gallant, who joined the Vegas Golden Knights prior to their expansion season, recorded a 118, 75, and 20 regular season record with a 27, 16, and 11 playoff record, taking the Knights to the Stanley Cup Finals in their expansion season and winning Coach of the Year. Former Sharks head coach Peter DeBoer will replace Gallant for Vegas, while Rick Tockett will replace him as head coach in the All-Star Game. So, before we go on to talk about this, Gerard, I just want to thank you on behalf of the Vegas Gold Knights, the city of Las Vegas, and the NHL for all your services and everything you've done. But Gerard Gallant, you're fired! Yeah, this is this comes out of left field, but at the same time, Marc-Andre Fleury has ended two coaches' tenures this season. That's pretty impressive. It is quite impressive, but... I don't know. The, the Gerard Gallant one in Vegas doesn't make any sense because it's not like Vegas is doing bad. Like, they're doing no. decent, and really they're... I understand they're, they're not talking their division right now, but that Pacific division, I mean, really, when you really look at it, Arizona is really coming out of nowhere. The Canucks are really emerging as, you know, a, de- a decent team in that division, and while 
you could say, well, what the hell is going on? Do we have a track record for you in Vegas? You know, you went to the Stanley Cup Finals, and then you got screwed in the playoffs to lose to the Sharks, and now you're, what, two points in the second of the division? That's it. The city of Vegas has no time for your uselessness. Get the fuck out. Well, the thing is, the Knights couldn't buy a goddamn save. And it's not, not the defense's fault. Defensive forwards are keeping the puck out of the area. It's just they're keeping the slot clean. They're keeping the dots clean. Larry can't make a save. He's below point nine one, and uh, Malcolm Subban at all or worse. Yeah, but to play the devil's advocate with Mark Andre Fleury is that this has been a really tough season for him, not just on the ice but off the ice as well, mm-hmm. right? Because you know he lost his father. There's been a lot of trouble with him off the ice, and I often wonder when it comes to his performance how much of that is really affecting him on the ice. Oh, for sure. I think the bigger. Like, one of the big issues is neither Malcolm Subban or the one game Garrett Sparks played, they couldn't step up because Malcolm Subban was sub-900. Yeah, and and going back to Craig Anderson, with Vegas looking like they're trying to make a playoff spot, do you think maybe Vegas would go and take a run at Craig Anderson to make him a backup goalie with the Vegas Gold Knights for one year? They might. But I often wonder, like, what would they legitimately really give up for Anderson and could they actually get him under the salary cap unless Ottawa is willing to retain salary on Anderson for the rest well, of the season. Well, the retained salary doesn't make much of a difference at this point, I don't think. It Because just how little's left on the contract. True. Of course, it's the Ottawa, it's the Ottawa special. I appreciate that. What draft picks does Vegas even have? I don't know, because, honestly, they've been just trading their picks for players at this point. Yeah, it was interesting. They amassed all those guys, and re- all those draft picks, then realized they weren't going to be bad. Yeah, and it's like, abort, that's it, get rid of them. Abort, abort. Yeah, yeah so Vegas... Yeah, because Vegas has no cap space. This year, they have... They're only missing their fourth. Hmm, okay. Like, they could probably tra- trade a fifth for... Anderson. Yeah, that'll be fine. Because, you know, Ottawa's just trying to get all the draft picks that we can at this point. Yeah. Or they could trade their third because they have Jersey's third. Possibly. Possibly. So, actually, speaking of New Jersey, we're going to go into our next story. The New Jersey Devils have fired GM Ray Shiro after four and a half seasons. Shiro joined the Devils as GM in May of 2015, replacing longtime general manager Lou Lamorello and would only lead the Devils to the playoffs once, despite making moves to acquire players such as Taylor Hall and P.K. Subban, as well as drafting Jack Hughes and Nico Hersher first overall. So, Ray, on behalf of the city, or on behalf of the state of New Jersey, the Devils fans, and the NHL, we want to thank you so much for all your service and everything you've done for the Devils. But I just got to say, Ray, you're fired! I feel bad for Shiro because you can definitely see what he was trying to do, but man, that Subban trade probably did him in. Yeah, that's a good possibility, but also you got to factor in, and we've talked about this with the Devils. I said, you know what? On paper, the Devils realistically didn't have that bad of a team, but it was always in goal where they had the biggest weakness. And I often wonder how much of this was also Ray Shiro not trying to go off and get a goaltender. Or him saying, okay, well, Mackenzie Blackwood is now going to be our future netminder. We need to start playing him some more. 
or maybe Corey Schneider will come back to form. Yeah, so maybe that's why he didn't make a trade. Yeah, and it's, you can kind of, like, the weird thing, though, is there's a lot of other things that Shiro did well, like, the Nikita Gusev pickup, I think, was terrific. The Taylor Hall pickup was very good. But, yeah, that defense core and and the goaltenders, it just never worked out, and it was time for the Axe. The one thing that I think is absolutely delusional is the owner thinks that they can win sooner rather than later. The pieces are there, but it's going to take time to assemble. It is, and honestly, Ray Shiro, and you're right, he really didn't do a bad job. It's just that the pieces that he brought in have not worked out well for the Devils. Yeah, and the hard thing is, is Lou Lamorello left them with fucking nothing. Yeah, because funny enough, that, you can thank Ilya Kovalchuk for that one. Yeah, that Ilya Kovalchuk gambit, like, sure, you have to admit, it did get them to the finals. It but did. man, has that screwed them over. I know, because I'm often, I'm trying to think right now, like, how many draft picks did that end up screwing the Devils by giving Kovalchuk that 15-year contract? Well, that's what happens when you circumvent the salary cap. You know what? That would be an interesting thing. And maybe for next week's episode, I'll find out what draft picks and see what players the Devils ended up losing with the Kovacek signing. Because I think that would be interesting to see what exactly happened there. Yeah. It must have been. I don't even remember what exactly the contract penalty was. I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll have to look into this and we'll but talk about But the other thing it. is just, Lou Lamorello, I don't think he knows the word rebuild. Well, no, because you look at the Devils under Lamorello, they never had to rebuild, right? Because he comes in 87, they come within one win of the finals in 88, and they continue on, they keep building, keep building, keep building, and then 94 hits, they almost make the finals, 95 they win, 96 they miss the playoffs, and they're from 97 to 2008, they can't knock in the playoffs every single year. Going on to win to Stanley Cups and all those division titles along the way. But also, I think uh, another, so another thing that really screwed Lamorello is that he always had loyalty within the Devils, which loyalty is good, but you also have to kind of look at the big picture. And I think when, in the later years of Lamorello, when he brought back old Brendan Shanahan, old Brian Rolston, guys that never worked out for the Devils, and you're just like, okay, look, I understand you have loyalty to these guys because you either drafted them or scouted them or whatever, but... At some point, you have to come to terms with the fact that they're not going to be contributors. And I think, unfortunately, that's what happened with Brodeur. Martin Brodeur had shitty numbers in the last couple of years of his career, and Lou Lamorello was not willing to part with him. Well, I mean, he kept coming back. Yep. Yeah, but I think if Lamorello, he could have just gone to Brodeur and said, listen, there's no shame in hanging him up. You had an amazing career. You're a Hall of Famer, Stanley Cup champion, gold medal winner, everything. You don't need to prove anything more. Just hang them up and go with be with your family. Yeah, pretty much. Although, I would imagine that, uh, well, we know that Broder did go elsewhere. Yep. And, you know, it was what it was. But the good news is that Broder got promoted. I think he's, I don't think he's the prison of hockey operations, but he's definitely one of the higher-ups with the Devils right now. At the moment. Oh, so we can now have an entire team full of Uncle Dad. Yes. Let's move on to our next story. Edmonton Oilers forward Zach Cassian has been suspended two games for his altercation with Calgary Flames forward Matthew Tuchuk. Cassian is not a repeat offender. 
So I'm not going to lie, Tim. When I was putting together this edition for Top of the Hour, I honestly thought about putting this story at the very top because there was not a news story in the league this week that was bigger than this. And while, yeah, the Gerald Gerlant and Ray Shiro firings were big, this really was so polarizing to so many people because... You have people going, oh, well, you know, it was a hockey play and whatever. And they're like, well, Cassian's a goon. Like, he went after Chuck who turtled. And overall, I got to say, my thought on it, I know this is going to piss off a lot of people in Calgary. I have to kind of take Zach Cassian's side on this because for a couple of reasons. Number one, Matthew Chuck fucking turtled. That is the one thing you do not do in hockey. Man, if you're going to start running players and you're going to start playing hard every night... You need to answer the bell. And I agree with Cassie on that. He's, even he said in the, the not post-game, but um, the scrum he did in Toronto practice, he says, you know what? He says, like, they weren't bad hits, but you need to answer for those hits every once in a while. Well, I mean, if they're not bad hits, why do you have to answer for them? That's true, but Cassian got dummied at least a couple of times in that game. But the problem was is that Cassian blew a fuse and went after him, and that's when DeChuck should have been like, okay, you know what, you're coming after me, let's go. Instead oh. of him trying to run away, and he grabs him and fucking sucker, not sucker punches him, but he throws him to the ice and starts pounding on him. No, I, honestly, that's not getting into the fight there's the smart hockey play. Draw the penalty, and it's up to Cassian to control his shit, basically. I get that this is great TV for the NHL. And honestly, I love the fact that Kachuk's in his head rent-free. Because, man, that makes for good TV. But Cassian got suspended because Cassian couldn't control himself. You can't let guys live in your head rent-free, especially if you don't think the hits were dirty. They, you know, he can't, but the thing arguable. is... Those, hits, those but hits were borderline. They were, but look at Kachuk. If Kachuk is going to start throwing his weight around and doing that... You can't turtle. I understand your logic behind it. it's a hockey move and you need to draw the penalty, but you know what? What are you really going to do by drawing Zach Cassian a penalty? I can understand it if you're going to draw it, Leon Dreisaitl or Connor McDavid, guys who could fucking kill your team. I can understand that, but why Cassian? Cassian's a bottom six player. Because that gets Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl off the ice for two minutes. Because they don't kill penalties. That gives you a five on four you are far more likely to score on a power play than you are 5-1-5. You take, it, you take every power play you get. This is a real team, not the Ottawa Senators. I, I know, but I'm sorry. The whole the Chuck turtling thing to me, just that really put, you know, a bee, not a bee in my bonnet, but, you know, that kind of term or whatever you want to use because I'm of the belief that if you're going to throw a hit like that, and when I first saw the hit, I thought, okay, Cassian might have a case here because Cassian didn't see him coming. And at first when I saw it, I thought the Flames defenseman kind of tied him up around the net and that's when DeChuck came in. But it kept watching the play and watching the play and I'm thinking, okay, it's not exactly a dirty hit. And I I don't know. I mean, I could kind of understand where Flame fans get pissed off about it, being like, well, he's a fucking goon. I understand Cassian's side thinking, you know, if you're going to throw your weight around, you need to answer the bell. But actually, one good thing that came out of this is that, and I'm sure you probably saw this on Twitter as well, the, I can't remember if it was either Flames or an Oilers fan, they started raising money towards the, the Brown Bag program, and they ended up raising like $22,000 because of the Zach, Zach Cassian's 
name. Oh, that's awesome. But, uh, yeah, no, I think, I think the suspension here is good. Because you can't have guys losing their shit like that. Yeah, and the, the suspension I have nothing against, but I also really hate the fact that to Chuck turtled. Because, honestly, and people could look at us being Sens fans and be like, okay, well, how come Tay's getting mad at Matthew to Chuck for turtling? And he was kind of, and he was praising Brady to Chuck for going after Scott Lawton when he did the exact, when he turtled when Brady went after him. Well, two things. Number one, Lawton did not take a run at Chuck, but also Chuck says, listen, you need to answer for this, for what you did. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like, is there an alternative to turtling if you're like, I have nothing to answer for? And the guy's just punching at you anyway? No, if that's the case, that's when your teammates jump in and you fucking break it up. Because yeah, honestly, that's, for sure. that's what I hate. I hate the fact that, you know, say that we're out and we're doing whatever and somebody takes a run at you, my first reaction is not to stand back. My first reaction is to get involved and try and break it up. Okay, so it's not so much you're mad at Kachuk, you're more mad that the rest of the Flames didn't do anything. Yeah, a little bit. I'm not going to lie on that. I understand that, you know, I, I feel if they saw a teammate, especially one of Kachuk where he's one of their better players getting, you know, the fucking shit kicked out of him. But there's also the other side of the argument that says, okay, well, Matthew Kachuk plays that style and he's throwing the body at him all night, then he should have been a big boy and answered for it. Well, at the same time, if Magda Kachuk has nothing to answer for and your team believes it, you should be up there breaking it up because you're not going to get a penalty for pulling a goon off your guy. True, but also, once you start turtling and once you start doing shit like that, it's hard to lose that label. Look at Crosby when he first came in the league and Crosby used to dive and whine and fucking all the bullshit he did. How many years do you think that took him to get rid of that label? He still kind of has that to this day. Yeah, and I know it's not completely comparable, but I guess there's also Claude Lemieux. Yeah, that's true. Claude, Claude's a good one. Even Sean Avery, you can honestly make an argument, even though they're two very different players. Mm. But I think the thing is, is in this case, it's not like he's diving. I don't think Kachuk did anything wrong. I definitely see your point that the rest of the Flames should have done something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and we've mentioned this several times where being Sens fans, and that's the one thing we've noticed with the Ottawa Senators this year, is that if somebody takes a run at one of our players, somebody else always gets involved to answer. And that's where, and we've talked about it, when Austin Matthews got hit versus Montreal, was any of the Leafs taking a run at that fucking Hab guy for hitting at Matthews? No. Did somebody go after Yanni Gouda for hitting Mark Borowiecki? Yeah, Dylan DeMello did. Fucking dropped the gloves and answered it for right there. Yeah, it's like, I think that's the thing is it's, I think Kachuk is a, like, both Brady and Matthew are very smart in the way they can draw penalties. And I think at the same time, you need a team. The team needs to stand up. If someone's making you pay for something you didn't buy, the team needs to step up. Yeah. But there's also the argument behind the instigator rule, too, right? Like, if somebody takes a run at one of your players and you go after them, well, not only do you get five minutes, you get an extra two for instigating as well. Well, wouldn't that be a misapplication of the instigator rule if you're going after a guy who just ran someone and dropped the gloves? It, yes, it, uh, yes and no. I mean, honestly, say if like Dechuk could take a run at Cassian, 
and Cassian got up and shoved a chuck, and next thing you know, say, Giordano or Brody or one of the Flames dropped the gloves with Cassian right there. Well, now you get two minutes because you're the instigator for whatever reason. But then again, in this situation, Cassian's already dropped the gloves. Yeah, but say Cassian didn't drop the gloves. Then you wouldn't drop the gloves. You would you'd interject in some way, throw a shove. It doesn't have to be dropped the gloves. Like, remember, there's shades in all of this. And it's an appropriate response and escalation. So, Tim, you know, I think I think we've pretty much got all we've gotten out of that story. And I feel like we should just go on to our next story because we've got a good one to talk about. The NHL has named the Chicago Blackhawks as the franchise of the decade for the 2010s. The Blackhawks in the 2010s won 437 regular season and 48 playoff games while also winning three Stanley Cups in 2010, 2013, and 2015 and three division titles along the way. The NHL also named Joel Quenville as head coach of the decade. I'm not going to lie, like, when I was thinking about this, to me, there is no other team that they could have picked for the 2010s, but I think for me, the big thing is, after the 2015 Cup run, that's where you really started to see the decline of the Blackhawks, afterwards. Yeah, and I think if you wanted to pick a team for the whole decade, and, like, not have them just kind of fall off, I think you'd go with the Penguins. Because that's a team that they were always competitive, even with like Crosby hilariously injured for the first years of the decade. But yeah, it's like they won the most cups, and for about six years there, they were always deep in the playoffs. I don't think there was a better team than the Blackhawks. No, and the number one thing for me is that unlike the Penguins, who I really did not like, I actually didn't mind the Blackhawks. Number one, because Marion Hosa played on the team, but because you look at the roster they built. You had the Taves, the Canes, the Seabrooks, the, you know, Jommersons. They reminded me a lot of, like, the late 90s, early 2000 Red Wings and how they were built. They had their superstar captain. They had their really great supporting cast around them, really solid defense. And if I'm if we're being honest, a goaltender that maybe wasn't the best in the league, but they could always count on him. And when you look at the Red Wings in the late 90s or 2000s, in their four cup wins... They had three starting goaltenders. They had Vernon, Osgood, and Dominic Hasek. Yeah, and that was late career Dominic Hasek. Yeah, and late career Mike Vernon, too. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting because, yeah, their first cup, it was anti-fucking-Niemi. Yep, it went anti-Niemi and then Corey Crawford for the next two. And I think Corey Crawford, I don't think he gets the praise he deserves. He was silently a very good goaltender through his prime. He wasn't bad, but I don't think he was overly amazing. He was a really good goaltender. I'm not going to question that. I'm not going to knock him for that. But I think when you compare him to the rest of the team, he was sort of the... What's the term I want to use here? Not black sheep, but he was just sort of the guy that you saw him and you're like, oh, okay, like you're there, I guess. You're good, but you're not of the level of these other guys on your team. I mean... Fair, but during his prime, the guy was, most of his seasons were above .92. So we're talking like 2012, 2013, .926, 2013, 2014, .917, 2014, 2015, .926, 2016, .926, .917, .918, and a nice, and a .93 for 2017, 2018. Like, that's very good goaltending. 
So, yeah, honestly, I mean, I think the Blackhawks were the perfect choice for the decade. Going back to the Penguins, I think if Pittsburgh had won a third cup in the 2010s, I think you could have had a legit, legit argument that maybe the Penguins could have been chosen over the Blackhawks. Mm-hmm. Well, I think if they had won a third, I think you definitely choose them. Because they're the only two who could string two in a row. They're the only team that could string two in a row. That is and true. that's hard. It is. I mean, hell, outside of the Penguins' recent back-to-back victories, the last one that we had was the 97-98 Red Wings. Yeah. And I think they probably could have done it earlier in the decade had Crosby not just been beridden with concussions. True. I mean, it, it will be always one of those what-ifs, right, in the early 2010s because Pittsburgh had won the Cup in 2009. They went to the finals in 08. And if Crosby hadn't get injured, maybe they could have been in the finals in, say, 2012. Or maybe not so much 2013 because Boston was really that good. But I don't know. Yeah, they, they realistically could have had another shot at a Cup in the early 2010s had he not been yep. injured. Probably twenty twelve. Probably twenty twelve because like yeah, that twenty eleven Bruins team was nothing really stopped them. Moving to our next story, the NHL, the Seattle NHL franchise has announced the name for their new home arena. The formerly named Key Arena will be named the Alaska Airline Atrium at Seattle Center. Say that five times fast. No, I'm not going to lie. Boy, that name just rolls off the tongue. But you know what? I bet you anything, people in Seattle, even hearing this, they're, they're still going to refer to it as Key Arena. And that's the thing. Even if you listen to the Seattle radio stations, people that used to call in, they'd be like, yeah, it's at the Key Arena. I'd be like, uh, it's not called the Key Arena. It's Key Arena. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny how names stick because I wonder how many people still call uh, TD Garden Fenway Garden. Fenway Garden? Yeah, because it's next to Fenway Park. Uh, the arena is not next to Fenway Park at all. Oh, in Boston, I thought it was. No, actually, actually, speaking of Fenway Park, uh, the Dropkick Murphys own a bar that's like twelve hundred steps from Fenway. Oh, yeah. oh shit! It was the Boston Gardens. Why was I think it was Fenway? No, actually, the Boston Garden was uh, right next to it because the right. Garden and TD Garden and the Boston Garden we're right next to each other and the parking lot for the new garden is where the old Boston garden used to stand. Okay. Why am I getting all these arenas mixed up? I don't know. Actually, do you know that there's a mall in Massachusetts that has, she has the old Boston garden, um, scoreboard. Where is it? Um, not Quincy. I'll quickly look this up because I think this is a great picture to show you because honestly, this is something that I was thinking about this. I'm just like, how in the hell did they, like, I don't know how they got that in the mall and whatever, but let's have a quick look. It is called... Okay, so it is the Arsenal Mall. Now, I don't know where the Arsenal Mall in Massachusetts is. It is in Watertown, Massachusetts. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's out there. Yeah, so I'll quickly I'll, I'll send you this picture because it is it's fucking amazing. Like they got this in the mall itself. Like I just can't believe that, you know, after all these years. Because I've always wondered, like, whatever happened to those kinds of seats, right? Like the seats and the scoreboard and all that stuff. And then somebody on YouTube, I actually found a video. Somebody bought one of those old school like VCR camcorders. 
And yeah. in the video was the fire marshal tape of the old Boston Garden when it closed. Oh. Yeah, like, it is amazing. And I'm just like, oh, that's so cool. Well, I know for, uh, I'm not sure if it's the same for all the stadiums, but I know a lot of the seats and even some of the bricks and stuff will be sold as memorabilia. Like, I remember when Wembley Stadium was being replaced in the UK. Yeah. Uh, you could buy chairs, bricks. So I just sent you the photo right now so you can have a quick look at it. And while we are doing that, I'm going to go on to the next story. The Colorado Avalanche and Los Angeles oh, Kings have unveiled their Stadium Series jerseys for the game on February 15th at the U.S. Air Force Academy. Reaction to the Avalanche jersey was negative, while L.A.'s jersey got a more positive response by comparison. So Does I know Colorado won't have a fucking hood on it? Colorado is the one that just has, like, the big A that looks like the Rocky Mountains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, it looks like it's got a hood. It does look like it has a hood. But the one thing I have to comment about the L.A. jerseys, I'm going to go ahead and say this, and I'm going to absolutely be the minority. If they had put the current L.A. Kings logo on those jerseys, I could have legitimately seen those as a third. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe there's something about those that I really, really like. I don't know what it is, Tim. I'm not going to lie. I'm not a big fan. It reminds me too much of a can of black ice. I mean, when, when we first heard these were being unveiled, my first reaction was the Burger King jerseys. But then when I saw it in, on the pictures with the Kopitar, I'm thinking, you know what? That's, I, it's not that bad looking. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't like that it just has the letters LA. I think if it had the King's logo, I think it would have been a much, much better look than it was. Fair enough. But yeah, it just reminds you too much of a can of black ice. Okay. <laughs> so Tim, we only got one signing to talk about, and it's actually a pretty big one because I think in the when we talk about this guy's career, I don't think enough people give him enough credit for how good of a player he really was. Washington Capitals have re-signed forward Nicholas Backstrom to a five-year, forty-six million dollar contract with an AAE AAV nine point two. Backstrom recorded nine goals, 26 assists for 35 points in 39 games for Washington this season. So talking about Nicholas Backstrom, and he is a player that I think when his career is done, we are going to look back on his career and say, why did we not really appreciate him when he was around? Because he was those, he was one of those players, like he was a sneaky good player, but also because... We were talking about Alexander Ovechkin earlier. Really, Backstrom has legitimately been the only center he's really had in the NHL. Yeah, pretty much. And the guys gel together really well. It's amazing to watch. And I have a sneaking suspicion Backstrom is going to be a Hall of Fame snub. Oh, yeah, he'll absolutely be a Hall of Fame snub. And the one comparison I have for Backstrom, and it's not a great comparison because I don't think Backstrom has the hockey vision, but he reminded me a lot of Adam Oates. Just his sort of demeanor and the way he plays and the fact that he puts up really great numbers and nobody ever gives him recognition because like Adam Oates, like Adam was always overshadowed by Steve Eiserman, always outshadowed by Brett Hall, always outshined by Cam Neely and Peter Bondrup, guys who, and Jeremy Roenick, he was always outshined by his co-stars. Backstrom's the same way. He's always outshined by Ovechkin because Ovechkin's the guy that puts up 50 goals every year. 
Yeah, and like on any other team, he'd probably be have more than one All Star game appearance. Yeah, and you know what's really amazing is that given that he plays for a team that, you know, the NHL and NBC always plays, I'm really amazed he is only played in one All-Star game. Well, I think he played a lot of his hockey in an era where the every, every team got one, and then he had fan votes on top of that. And the fan votes either went to the home team or were thrown on marks, like Corey Hodgson or uh, John Scott. Tim, there's no need to start dissing John Scott. That man yeah. is a legend, and he is an all-star for life. Yeah. Although, in I, fairness, once when Gerald Gerlant got fired, I love John Scott's tweet that maybe he said it should have only been fair that he should have been named head coach. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, when you think about it, it's not that surprising. But, yeah, and, I agree with you. I think Backstrom will, he, he will be a Hockey Hall of Fame snub, but I think that years will go by and we'll actually look back on his career and be like, wow, like he's got the numbers to back it up and he's got hardware. Well, the hard thing is the Swedish teams just don't perform at the Olympic level. So he doesn't have the Olympic hardware. True, but he does have a Stanley Cup and he has all the points to put up with it, right? And I think like Adam Oates, he'll be a Hockey Hall of Fame snub because of his lack of individual awards as well. Because even though he has the Stanley Cup, he doesn't have scoring titles. He doesn't have really anything that really stands him apart. But with Backstrom, I think people can kind of look at him and be like, okay, how much of this is Backstrom being a great player? Or with him, the fact that his number one co-star is Alex Ovechkin. And I think the other thing with Backstrom, though, is dude's going to get 1,000 points. Like, he has 1,000 points. He has the... He has the Stanley Cup. Missing the missing the Olympic medal is going to hurt. Yeah, that is true. And I think for Hockey Hall of Fame voting nowadays, I think lacking international awards will also hurt a player's chances to get in as well. Which kind of sucks because Canada has almost all of them. Yeah, that's true. That is true. So, Tim, we've got a couple of fines to talk about to close up top of the hour. National Players forward Victor Arvidsson has been fined $2,000 as supplementary discipline under Rule 64 for diving and embellishment. Arvidsson has had two separate citations against him. First, against the Pittsburgh Penguins on December 27th, and again against the Boston Bruins on January 7th. You know, I never realized Arvidsson was a diver. Yeah, neither did I. I love the fact that they do find the players for diving and embellishment now. I think that's a really, really good rule. Yeah, if you're going to find guys for going across the line, you have to find for faking it, too. I know. Can you imagine how many of those, like, soccer players would be fined if they if that kind of rule was in for those international tournaments? So many. I know. Wait, none. FIFA's rigged. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So let's close up top of the air by talking about New York Rangers defenseman Ryan Lindgren has been fined $2,486 and, wait for it, Tim, 56 cents, the maximum allowable fine under the CBA for interference against New York Islanders forward Jordan Eberle. So I don't, I didn't see the hit, so I don't really have any comment to make about it. One big comment I do have to make what the fuck is it with, like, these weird-ass, like, costs for fines, where it always ends in cents? 
My guess is that they set the original number and then indexed it to inflation. So then each year you multiply it by 1.5%, 2.3%, but up, but up, but up. And then you get weird number ending in cents. You know what? I'm not going to lie to him. I actually never really thought about it that way. And it's the only way that really makes sense. Because I couldn't see a real human just picking arbitrary numbers like that. That's a good point, Tim. So, Tim, that wraps up Top of the Hour for this week, which can only mean one thing. It's time to head on to the games. Now, we got three games to talk about. We've got the Chicago Blackhawks versus the Ottawa Senators, Vegas Gold Knights versus the Ottawa Senators, and the Calgary Flames versus the Ottawa Senators. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game! <laughs> okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Blackhawks versus the Senators. This is a 3-2 Blackhawks victory. Blackhawks goes scored by Dominic Kubelik with two and Jonathan Taves. Sens goes scored by Connor Brown and Chris Tenere. Shots were 30 for 22 for Chicago. A somewhat even game overall. Ottawa opened the game throwing the body and playing with energy while Chicago were leading in shots. As the game went on, though, the momentum began to swing in Chicago's favor as the Blackhawks got their game going and would go on to win it in overtime. So, first note we got to make, former Ottawa Senator Zach Smith made his return to Ottawa. Didn't honestly notice him in this. He's a hard player to notice, to be honest. And I don't think he even played that. Yeah, he played 13 minutes in a fourth-line role and didn't really do all that much. Honestly, the Chicago penalty kill looked pretty good. But again, it's the Ottawa power play. <laughs> so, uh, not a lot doing there. Honestly, I know I watched this game. I pointed out Zach Smith to Chelsea, and then I don't remember anything. And I looked at my notes for his, like, yeah, I guess Connor Brown did score in the first moment, the first, like the first few minutes, and it was a nice goal. Other than that, just a blank. I know. It was just one of these games where, and I totally agree with you, but the one thing I noticed about the Blackhawks is that, quite honestly, they had a number of chances to bury it, and either it went off somebody's stick or they missed the net completely. Especially, I can't remember what period it was, but Jonathan Taze is right in front of the net, and he totally whiffed on that one play. Oh, yeah, where Hogberg's on... Hawker can't get across the net, and uh, Tapes has nothing but net. Yep. I remember that because it's you cut after the goal, and Tapes it's just sitting on the bench. He's throwing the stick down the hallway, swearing on the bench, and Kate's like, "Don't worry, buddy, you'll get it." He's yeah. Like, I'm and, now okay. And the trainer's <laughs> like, "Here, here, Tapes, here's your stick. Oh, thank you." And he goes on to score the game winner, so can't feel too hard for that. Uh, I felt Otto opened this game pretty strong, and then just. After they got their two-goal lead, just kind of coasted. Yeah, and this is something that I don't think we could really talk about in the next two games because, I don't know, in the next couple of games, it just didn't seem like Ottawa had inner, really any energy to them, especially because like I saw the Flames game and I condensed the Gold Knights game, but that's the one thing I noticed is that it just seemed like the energy wasn't there. And, well, we'll talk about that more when we get to those games, but I do have a few notes I'm going to talk about. And you mentioned him. Marcus Hogberg, 27 saves, a .900 save percentage. Looked solid in this game. And I think 
this is another one of these games that he is really continuing to make his argument to be placed with the number one job in Ottawa right now. Well, honestly, at this point with how well Hogberg's played in, I think this really frees up the Senators to trade Craig Anderson. Because Hogberg, even though he only has two wins to his name, he has played lights out in almost every game he's played. He has, and it's even when we when Anders Nelson joined the Sens back in January last January, that was the one not one comment that you and I made is that he didn't really show too much in Vancouver. He comes to Ottawa and he's lights out for us. And Hogberg's kind of the same way, is that I didn't know much about Marcus Hogberg, and honestly, I thought uh, Gustafson was going to jump him in the depth chart. But honestly, going into possibly the 2021 season, I could legitimately see Marcus Hogberg either taking the number one job or being a very, very good backup behind Anders Nelson. Well, it's funny because last season, like people were noting that Hogberg was in trouble because here's this guy that was supposed to be kind of a big goalie for the Senators, and he's bouncing between the AHL and the ECHL because Ottawa's somehow has a goalie log jam with with Anderson, McKenna, Condon, Gustafson, and then Nielsen comes in too. Yeah, and we also can't forget Joey Decord as well. And Joey Decord yeah, Joey Decord coming in for some games and when you're down to the ECHL level, it's tough. And like Hawkberg had four games last season and uh, it wasn't all that pretty. So people were kinda worried about it. Yeah, so honestly, I kind of wonder what snapped in him to really turn his game around with the Sens. Because as you said, even though he has two wins to his name, he's looked fantastic in almost every game that he's played in. And, and I've even commented here, having my notes, I said, even though we lost, he looked fantastic. Honestly, I think part of it is the four games he played were around New Year's last year. Mm-hmm. So around when McKenna got traded and... Uh, that was a bad, really bad sense team in front of him. But the other thing is, he's 25 now. So he's just a bit older, a bit bigger, a bit more experienced. And this team is definitely a bit better than the team last year. So I've got a couple more players I want to talk about. Thomas Shabbat, three shots. It's a shame he didn't score in this game because I thought he skated and played quite well in this game. Yeah, it was, it was interesting because he played really well against Duncan Keith and played pretty and pretty much played pretty even pretty well against Olimata and kept Patrick Kane kind kind out of it. Well, a balanced Patrick Kane about as much as he can, but it was weird for whatever reason against Gustafson and Murphy, it just wasn't working. And I don't know why. And Shabbat was on the ice for two of the three goals. True, but I mean honestly that's gonna happen when you're the number one defenseman, right? I mean, obviously, you look back at the couple of years, the many, many years that Carlson played here. Well, how many games did we get scored on a number of times and Carlson was on the ice for that? Oh, that's true. Although it's hard because Kubliak was in the slot both times. Yeah, that is true. So two more players I want to talk about. Connor Brown, one goal, one assist, and one shot. I really liked his game. Another player I actually really liked, again, Tyler Ennis with three shots. One thing I really noted in this game is that he was on the right side of the puck for most of this game. 
honestly, you can generally say that about Connor Brown, and it's nice that things are starting to work for him. One player I thought had a quietly good game was that bottom, well, all three of the bottom line of Balsers and Isimov and Domestikov. It was just solid, good grinding. And that's all you can really ask for your bottom line. The one thing I noticed is that I didn't really notice Anthony Declare in this game, to be honest with you. Or Brady Kachuk. Brady Kachuk was around the net being his usual pain in the ass self. And if he's not scoring, then that's fantastic. Anthony Declare was quiet again. Yeah, and that's one thing that's kind of scaring me now is that coming into the second half, that's the one thing I've really noticed is that it's, I don't want to say he's taken the foot off the gas, but his game has really slowed down. Now, I'm not sure whether that's on him or whether that's teams are now trying to stop him, knowing because, like, when he gets the puck, the puck goes in the net. Yeah, and I think part of it, I think part of it is just teams are covering him more because it's, like, in this game, he had three shots on net and six shot attempts, so he's still shooting the puck. In the game against Vegas, where not a singer center even really looked all that good. Anthony Duclair had six shots on net. So he's playing the game well enough. And I'd probably say Anthony Duclair was one of Ottawa's better shooters. Sorry, one of better players in the Vegas game when we get to there, even though he was quiet again. It's just, this is going to happen with skaters. And shooters in particular is, if they go up, they get hot, they get cold, they get hot, they get cold, right? Mm-hmm. The nice thing is, is, at least he's not getting victimized in his own zone. This game, he was definitely weaker in his own zone, but nothing went in on his watch. So, Tim, let's move on to the second game of the evening. Golden Knights versus Senators. This is a 4-2 Golden Knights victory. Golden Knights were scored by Paul Stasny, Mark Stone, Chandler Stevenson, and Ryan Reeves. Senators were scored by Vladimir Nestikov and Connor Brown. Shots were 43-35 for Vegas. Paul Stasi opens the scoring for Vegas to make it 1-0 on a given goal with Mark Stone. Mark Stone scores to make it 2-0 after picking up his own rebound and doing the wraparound. Chandler Stevenson scores to make it 3-0 after Thomas Shabbat turned the puck over. Nemesikov gets Ottawa on the board to make it 3-1 after a little curl and drag played by Chris Tierney. Ryan Reeves scores to make it 4-1 after Anderson gets caught behind the net. And Connor Brown scores to make it 4-2 Vegas, which would be the final. So I, I did condensed watches because of the snowstorm this past week and i did try and watch this game a little bit but my whatever reason my wi-fi was acting up at home so i didn't get a chance to watch it because again the snowstorm and life then happened and i was just like all right fuck it i'll just condense watch so like the last game talked about zach smith this was one of the bigger games of the year former senator mark stone makes his return to ottawa one goal one assist on two shots what I really love the fact is that the Sens did the tribute video for him and Mark Stone, A, got a standing ovation, but B, showed his love back for the fans in Ottawa. Yeah, and he always talks about just how much he did love the fans in Ottawa, so it's not surprising. And uh, it's got to be hard leaving a place where not only did he start your career there, but the fans legitimately, like you're a fan favorite, they want you to stay sort of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's got to be hard because I know uh, it's actually kind of funny. The Zach Smith tribute video, TSN, I don't think they played the whole thing. But for the Stone one, they cut the whole commercial break. 
I know. It was kind of like when Eric Carlson made his return to Ottawa and they had the whole tribute video during the broadcast. But that's the one thing I noticed about Zach Smith is that I don't even remember them playing the tribute video at all on the broadcast. They played, like, the last half of it. Did they? Oh. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it was a nice video, and it's it's kind of hard because Zach Smith was one of the longer-tenured guys. So I'm a little surprised they didn't play the whole thing. True. But going back to Mark Stone, one of the things that... I'll be perfectly honest. I think when when Mark Stone left Ottawa, for myself, I didn't really have much emotional attachment to Mark Stone. I thought, okay, he's a great player. He's great for the young guys. But unlike Eric Carlson, I didn't have the emotional attachment to Mark. So when he got traded, I wasn't just crushed. I was more of a, well, I mean, that sucks that they traded him. Well, I think if Stone had gone first, it probably would have been different. True. I, th- I think if Stone left first, I think that would have woke everybody up to thinking, oh, fuck, who's the next guy going? Whereas with Carlson, it was like, okay, our best player's now gone. We're all fucking expendable at this point. Yeah, and I think part of it's also, well, Dad's already gone for cigarettes and ain't coming back, and Duchesne was already out the door, Single was out the door. Yeah, Hoffman was what already gone. What else happen? True. One thing I did notice about this game, looking at the stats, is that a number of players had four more shots in this game. Now, you already mentioned Anthony Declare at six. Connor Brown and Vladislav Nemestikov had five, and the real American Brady Tachuk had four. Now, given that you did watch this game and I condensed it, uh, what kind of notes can you make about Brown, Nemestikov, and Tachuk in this uh, game? About Brown, Nemestikov, and Tachuk, they were the best senators. I'd probably say they were the best senators on the ice, plus Dylan DeMello, but... Man, the Sens really weren't on. Like, I think Ottawa's best skater was, yeah, I'd probably say it was Nemestikov, Brown, Kachuk. Man, I think the Sens got, they got too awestruck by the Mark Stone video, too. Just for long stretches of of this game, there was just nothing doing for the Sens. And the shot clock is a lot closer than the game actually was. Like, sure, the Sens managed to get over 35 shots. That's because they finally woke up at the end of the game. But for large large portions of that game, it was all Vegas. I know. When I was watching the condensed game, it was like, what, 17 to 8 or 19 to 9. I was like, what the hell are we doing? Like, are we just letting Vegas shoot at us now? Pretty much. And honestly, that game could have been a lot worse. It could have been. You don't usually give goal, a goalie credit in a nine in a four goal loss, but wasn't for Craig Anderson that would have been a hell of a lot worse. And uh, the Stone goal was just there wasn't much he could do because the defenseman couldn't clear that puck away. Yeah, even though Mike Riley did try and get back to stop him on the wraparound, but there was nothing he could have done at that point. No, Anderson got beat clean, yeah. and that is a very at the same time though it's a very Anderson goal. It is. Weird play off the board. Anderson not back in the net. Stone pops her in. Yep. Now, before we go into the next game, actually, I do have a note about Craig Anderson. He did 30, 39 saves, a .907 save percentage. Stats-wise, definitely had a bounce-back game, but watching the condensed version and even listening to the commentary, it did look like Craig Anderson had a bounce-back game all around, even though he let up four goals. Yeah, and it really sucks that Stone stood up Sazny within the first minute. I know. You know what really broke my heart, though, when I was watching that? 
How many times did we see Mark Stone do that with the Sens? So many. Oh, so many. Uh, actually, the final comment I have to make on that game is that that game is the only game all year I actually wore my one of my Sens jerseys. Huh. I wore my Stone jersey to work. Nice. Yeah, I don't think there's anything really much more to say about this game. Uh, it's just... It's one Ottawa would like to forget. Actually, there is one comment that we have to make, Tim. Uh-huh. The games versus the Blackhawks and the Golden Knights, Ottawa was wearing the Silver O jerseys. Oh, back-to-back. Back. I know, you it's weird. permanently go now? Oh, I hope so. I, you know what? I really, really wish that Ottawa went with those jerseys because, yes, I can understand people maybe like, well, oh, you know, the O is not really all that creative, but the look of those jerseys are so nice and they really stand out. I think it would be fantastic because, honestly, the red and black is great, but then you add the silver and white to it. It makes those colors pop. Oh, for sure. And it's actually a really interesting thing when we were talking with uh, Pam, just talking about the logo because the O, as you're saying, really resonates with older fans and fans from the Ottawa area. Well, either Centurion is, it's kind of more out of towners and younger kids. So it's definitely something to ponder too. So Tim, let's head on to the third and final game in the evening. Flames versus Senators this is a five. Oh my God, Tim. We won a game. I mean, it ah, wasn't a great shit. game, but we won it. This is a game that happened, and holy fucking shit. That's true. Flames versus Senators is a 5-2 to two Senators victory. Flames go to score by Mark Jankowski, Noah Hannafin. Senators go to score by the real American Brady Tchuk, Chris Tierney, Connor Brown, Colin White, and Vladislav Nemestikov. Shots for 42-20 for Calgary. Calgary outplayed Ottawa throughout this game. Both teams started the game playing with energy. However... As the game went on, Calgary began to take over, dominating and scoring chances and shots. Ottawa, however, got all the chances and rolled the play of Marcus Hogberg to the win. So let's start off this with Marcus. It was fucking weird. It was weird. Let's start off with Marcus Hogberg. 40 saves, a .952 save percentage. Really is continuing to press with his play. And given that we just talked about it, we don't really need to go into too much detail about him. Brady Tuchuk had a goal and assist on three shots. Now, let's talk about that goal, because Kelly on Twitter made a great point about this. She says, that is one of the most Brady to Chuck goals she has ever scored. And I said, what happened? Did he fall down and they do a barrel roll? He's like, no, but I still don't understand how that went in. It was just a weird, is a fluky, fluky goal. And that slump busters tend to be. And, like, Riddick was not sharp on that. Because I think a goalie that was tracking the puck would have gotten that. And when you haven't seen a shot in the first five minutes of a game, that's going to happen to a goalie. And Ottawa tied a season low for shots in a period with three. And then they had a ping off the crossbar. But it was just... Calgary got 15 shots in that first period. That's just how hard Calgary was taking it to the centers. And... I really think this is a it's a goalie story. Uh, Hogberg was excellent, and uh, Jankowski just ruined the shutout five five minutes left in the game, while Riddick was pedestrian. True, but I think um, 
in fairness to David Riddick on the Chuck goal, Travis Hamannick did not do him any favors by patting the puck into the net afterwards. No, not at all. But honestly, a lot of those goals were just like the Tierney goal and the Connor Brown goal were kind of softies. Yeah. And the Colin White goal was a decent work goal, but kind of soft too. Actually, you know what? And I'm surprised neither of us have actually brought him up, but have you noticed over the last couple of games, Chris Tierney has actually had a pretty solid performance overall? Yeah. And uh, it's interesting because I haven't heard his name in trade rumors, but he's just kind of one of those guys who, you know how I bring this up with Anisimov, and he's actually been playing pretty okay too. Chris Tierney is one of those guys who's just there. Yeah, he's he's kind of like the kind of like a Derek Broussard in a way. Derek Broussard, when he was here, he was just sort of there. Except he had far less he has far less talent than Broussard. But at the same time, dude's twenty five. But I guess he's twenty five, so this is what we're getting. True. And I think he might be a decent flip at the deadline. Mm-hmm. He'll be I, good for maybe fifteen goals, forty points. Yeah, a solid bottom six option. Yeah, kind of like, uh, holy crap, I'm already blanking on his name that we picked up from Chicago for a seventh. Uh, Anisimov? Not Anisimov, but in 2017. Stahlberg. Not Stahlberg, we got him from Carolina. Uh... <laughs> it wasn't Burroughs, it was... I feel bad now. I don't know. I'm going to quickly look this up now because, honestly, this is this is going to drive me fucking crazy. Uh, one player who, again, this is another guy who's actually been pretty good, has been Connor Brown. One goal, one assist on three shots. Thought he looked pretty good in this game, all things considered. Well, this is his third... This will be his third game in a row, I believe, with at least two points. So it's a very solid performance. Was, so, it, uh, uh, was it Chris DiNomenico? No, not Di Domenico. Uh, Tommy Wingles. Tommy Wingles, that's right. Wait a minute, didn't he come from San Jose? You're right. Why did I think he came from Chicago? I don't no, know. Chicago signed him after. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, that's what I'm thinking of. Because I know um, he did play with the Sharks for a little while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another guy who actually got the monkey off his back was Colin White with one goal on two shots in this game. And... For Colin White, this is a long time coming. Because Colin White, he's been around where he needs to be. The play's been good. He just hasn't gotten the results. So I haven't been worried about Colin White. It's just the poor guy was snake bitten. So uh, good for Colin White. So, Tim, I don't have any more comments to make on this game if you just want to head on to the close for another evening. Uh, one thing that was interesting. One fun thing that happened at the beginning of the game is uh, Wes McCauley, uh, a pro post of nothing, kicked both of the centers out of the out of the faceoff dot. And you know who he called in? Brady and Matthew. Uh, you know Brady what's funny? Matthew. I totally was thinking about that too. And I was looking through my notes and I was like, why did I not put it in my notes again? But I love the fact that they had like 40 members of the family, all that had jerseys with Brady on one side and Matthew on the other. Yeah, and you've got a full press box of Kachucks. And it was funny because Chelsea walks by. He's like, what the hell is that? That's the Kachucks. I know. 
big Keith to Chuck. Keith to Chuck's a big boy now. Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, isn't he also working with the Blues? He is also working with the Blues, yes. Yeah, because uh, when they went on the father's trip, Brady brought his grandfather instead. Right. But, uh, no, it was fun, and I'm a little sad one of them didn't face wash the other. I know, but you know what, though? I can't, I think it was Brady's and Matthew's mom that told them, you boys better not get into a fight tonight during their first meeting in the NHL. Yeah, and uh, they were talking about it uh, during one of the stoppages in play, and uh, she was saying that they had a no-fighting rule, and she hopes it applies to the NHL. Honestly, I wish that Brady and Matthew would just get into a floss-off at center ice. Like, they just drop the gloves, look like they're going to fight, and then they just get into a floss-off. Yeah, it'd be fun times. Absolutely. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it, because believe me, Tim and I... Love recording them for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network, where you can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter, at ThirdLinePlug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901HoneyBadger, and at GreatWhiteGipster, G-R-8-W-I-T-E, Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about the games, top of the hour, or you want to talk about Brady and Matthew's future floss-off, shoot us an email, ThirdLinePlugSenseCast at gmail.com. So, Tim, this is a weird thing to do, but we don't have any games to talk about next week because it's the All-Star Game weekend. Well, at the same time, it's there's games going on up until Wednesday, so it's just kind of weird scheduling, but at the same time, I guess I get it. True. So just a quick reminder for everybody for next week, even though we don't have any Sens game to talk about, we are going to be doing an episode. I think we might even be doing something All-Star Game related, though, Tim. Are we having a skills competition? Possibly, possibly. Until next week, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jetsy. Go Sens, guys. <laughs>